I eventually got diagnosed when I was probably 16 as OCD or obsessive compulsive disorder, depression, anxiety, PTSD. I would irrationally think, you know, if I don't take a shower for four hours, then I'm going to get a stomach bug. And I hated throwing up if I can't scrub every inch of my body over and over in a burning hot shower for four hours. Welcome to the Secret Life Podcast. Tell me your secret. I'll tell you mine. When I first started my recovery 11 years ago, I struggled through the textbook-like material on the subject. I wanted to make the addiction and the recovery from it accessible and relatable to more people by telling it in an entertaining way. Well, I'm super excited to announce I've released my first book, Secret Life of a Hollywood Sex and Love Addict. If I can help just one person find a solution or at least realize they're not broken or alone, then writing this has been worth it. You can pick up the book exclusively at Amazon or signed copy at secretlifenovel.com. And the best way to support our podcast is to subscribe and share. If you haven't left a review or rating on Apple Podcasts yet, please do. It'll help more people find our show. And if you want to be a guest, shoot me a note at secretlifepodcast at iCloud.com. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to Secret Life Podcast. I'm Brianne Davis-Gant. Today, I'm pulling back the curtains of all kinds of human secrets. We'll hear about what people are hiding from themselves or others. You know those deep, dark secrets we probably want to take to our grave or those lighter, funnier secrets that are just plain embarrassing. Really, the how, what, when, where, and why of it all. Today, my guest is Rachel. Now, Rachel, I have a question for you. Dun dun dun. What dun, is dun, dun. your secret? <laughs> dun dun dun. <laughs> well, let me tell you. <laughs> so, my secret is, and it's, I guess, not so much of a secret anymore, but was a secret was when I was a kid, I had some debilitating mental illnesses that kept me in my own little bubble. And it took a long, long time to get through it, but definitely more so on the other side. It's not perfect. Well, let's you know, go but. back though. What what were these illnesses and at what age? Yeah. And I still, I you know, I don't want to say I completely got through them because I still identify with having these, you know? And so, well, the kind of twist here is that for a long time, it was kind of secret to myself. I didn't know what secret I was keeping. So right. if we're going back, I, when I was a kid, I... I dealt with event, what I eventually got diagnosed when I was probably 16 as OCD or obsessive compulsive disorder, depression, anxiety, PTSD. And the problem was though, was so moving back a little bit, when I was about, I guess I was like eight, I started being debilitated by things that we had no clue what it was. You know, my family had no idea. Um, but all I knew was that I couldn't get out of bed. I couldn't go to school and I was feeling horrible all the time. And we went to doctor upon doctor, you know, figuring out if I was sick, if it was something mental, but it was something that I really kept to myself. You know what now, I mean? When you say you couldn't get out of bed, you just like your mentality could not get out of bed. Like can you ex- explain right. that feeling? Because I don't have that, but I do have OCD. Right. So I can get like being obsessed with things being where they are. So you have some kind of control, but 
Can you explain that feeling? Absolutely. So it was, well, it, the thing was, is that it was super confusing at mm -hmm. a at that time as a kid. So if you had asked me when I was a kid, I wouldn't have been able to explain it to you. I had no clue what was happening. I just knew that I felt like crap. Mm -hmm. And, but in retrospect, I can identify it as, okay, I was, I was debilitated by all of these thoughts that I had going on. And it kind of piled on each on itself like a snowball because I got more embarrassed the more I couldn't go to school, kind of a social anxiety of sorts where mm -hmm. I was so overwhelmed by what people thought of me. But, you know, they would ask me questions about why I wasn't in school. And I was like, I don't, hell, I don't know. You know, <laughs> don't ask You're me. Like, I have no idea. I just I didn't want to come. Stop like, you, exactly. people yeah. terrify me. Exactly. <laughs> And the other thing was not to go on a bit of a tangent, but I was I was a good student. Other than these things, I was a good student. I liked school. I liked learning. And so it was extremely confusing. But but again, back to your question, it was it was a lot of fear. Mm -hmm. So a lot of fear of what would happen to me out in the world, what people would say to me. It was a fear of getting hurt or my loved ones getting hurt. Mm -hmm. And it was a fear that if I didn't do certain things to, uh, you know, kind of squish those feelings down, or those are the compulsions, the thoughts or the obsessions. If I didn't do those things, then you know, the world would come crumbling down in one way or another. You know, I would irrationally think, you know, if I don't take a shower for four hours, then I'm going to get a stomach bug. And I hated throwing up. And I, I mean, I still do. I still don't like it, but <laughs> who does? But, <laughs> but you know, I'm going to get a stomach bug if I can't scrub every inch of my body over and over in a burning hot shower for four hours. And I was just debilitated by the inability to be perfect and that kind of thing, to be perfect in school with my grades, that it was just like, it, it just kind of snowballed into this thing that kept me in bed that made me just not want to face the day and got me extremely depressed. I'm also curious, does anybody in your family have that too? Well, it, it is funny you say that because my granddad who passed away when I was two, after I was diagnosed when I was 16, mm -hmm. um, my mom looked back at it and and she was like, oh my God, I think that's what he had. And he was an alcoholic. She's like, I, I think he had undiagnosed OCD. So yeah, but it was, but it was strange. And it, I say it was a secret because it was, it was a secret to myself. It was a secret to other people because it, nobody knew what the hell it was. Like I was this, you know, seemingly put together bubbly kid, you know, academic student outside of this thing. You know, so, so it was, crazy though, because when you're weird, saying yeah. that, even when people look at people and you think they have it all together, you never know what's going on underneath. Like the you demons know, we hide or the things we hide right. from ourselves, you said. Exactly, exactly. And that's the biggest thing, honestly, that I took away from this is I just developed, I feel like, such empathy towards other people. And that's why I created my platform is because of exactly what you said, that you can never know what is going on with somebody. You just can't. There are so many things that happen that you, you know, behind closed doors. So at 16, you got diagnosed and it finally was, was it this wake up moment? Did something happen before that was severe that so the doctor was like, oh, I know what it is now? You know, it took finding the right doctor. And, mm -hmm. you know, I had been in therapy since this started when I was eight or whatever it was. Like, you know, everybody was scrambling to figure out what it was for years. So it's honestly baffling that it took that long. 
But, um, and especially mind you, just to paint a little bit of a picture, especially because like I wasn't, I, when I say I wasn't getting out of bed and going to school, I mean it. Like I, in fifth grade, I didn't go to school. I was there for the first couple of weeks. And then the last couple of weeks of school, I got my butt back in. And it happened after that for months and months at a time, semesters at a time. It's, it's like a miracle that I didn't fall back. But, yeah. or, did you I do mean, your I did. schoolwork in bed? Did you <laughs> sometimes, like, yeah. Okay. And, or sometimes I would have a tutor and, um, you know, they, at the end of high school, they let me take, cause after high school I lived, so I grew up in New York mm-hmm. and then after high school, I moved to the Philly area. I was going to start like community college classes to build my grades back up. And, um, so they were amazing enough to let me like have some of those work as double credits, you know, credit me towards things I had missed. And gosh, it was, it was wild. So, so to answer your question though, when it, um, when I turned 16, I, I had, you know, I had a therapist who I loved, who was a sweetheart. He was this like little old crinkly man who <laughs> had this like big nose that had nose hair sticking out all the time. It was, he was the sweetest little man. The quintessential therapist that you oh think my, of that's in like a movie. 1000%. <laughs> like I can't even, I, absolutely. So, <laughs> so, uh, what happened though was one day I, I was, I was listing all these things that I was stressed out about, like this and this and the homework and the can't get it to school, blah, 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 blah. And I mentioned that there was this shirt that I had had sitting out on my on my desk for like two weeks that was driving me nuts because it had three different colors on it. And I had my color, my closet color coordinated. Wow. And, so because you was, didn't know where to put it. it I had, didn't know where to put oh it. Oh my God. <laughs> so I just mentioned it in passing and he was like, well, 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 skirt, wait a minute. Like he like stopped you- the track. Wait, back it up. Yeah. What did you just say? So I, I swear that's what happened. And he pulled out, there was something called the Y box, which is the Yale Brown obsessive compulsive scale. And so he's like, okay, stop talking. We're going to do this. And it's basically you go through this, like it takes days and days to do it um, over the course of sessions. But you go, you go through this, this diagnosis thing that asks you all these questions. And I turned out to be at like the most severe end of the scale, like, like almost a hundred percent. And he was like, Oh, this makes, you know, a lot of sense. (laughs) Do you remember some of the questions? Um, well, for the most part, uh, maybe not specifically, but it asks you things. So I guess to back up a little bit, the thing is with OCD is that, and the reason I think why I went undiagnosed for so long was that a lot of people think of it as like, it's just hand washing or, yeah, because when you said it to me, mine wasn't even that. Mine was like everything in my house. Mm -hmm. And my dad has it too. Everything in our house had to be like exactly where it was. So if you like move the remote control, like somewhere else, my dad would walk, pick up the remote control and put it back where it was supposed to be Mm -hmm. without even thinking about it. And I absolutely. Oh, absolutely. So, and it totally can be a lot of stuff. I, I just mean that like, People generally think of it as, you know, keeping things straight, which like you Mm -hmm. said, is true or germophobia, Mm -hmm. which which I dealt with too. And I, I dealt with the keeping things straight, but it also has a lot of things that have to do with other fears. So like, 
like a big thing for me was having intrusive thoughts or harm thoughts of like having these mental images of like my brother getting into my like little baby brother getting into like a horrible car crash. And I would be debilitated, like knowing that it was irrational, but like having to do things to stop it. You know what I mean? So here's my question for you. Would you go, would you, would you have, because I have those thoughts, you know, when you have a son or a dog, you go and like, what if he gets hurt? What if he, you know, someone tries to abduct him? I've had that thought, you know, as a mother. Totally. do you, does your, because I stop them, I, I, I can have the ability to be like, okay, stop. That's great. That's, you're going right. to drive yourself nuts. Would you right. go into the fantasy and like feel all those feelings and right. then get stuck there? You know what? That's exactly it. I think you nailed it because it was, you're right. A lot of times these thoughts are normal and, right. and the, the extent to which they're normal or not has to do with how much they interfere with your life, how much how much suffering and stress they bring you. Mm-hmm. And I think it was exactly that, that it kind of, that I was always predisposed to this, you know, even as a little kid, but then it, it just took control. So it took years of therapy to learn how to let those thoughts just be thoughts. It, the therapy for it doesn't make them go away. I still no. have those thoughts, but now- Everybody has those exactly. thoughts. Yeah. Absolutely. And maybe they don't get as severe because the more you resist them, the more the thoughts come out. That's the thing. So it, it's again, a kind of snowball effect. Right. So then now they just ha- it's like a nice side effect of the treatment of, of ignoring the thoughts, so to speak. It's a nice side effect that there are fewer thoughts. You know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah. And you don't go down that rabbit hole of the what if. Right. Not as, not as much, but you know, I learned the tools to be able to deal with it when that does happen. You know, after you were 16 and diagnosed, did you keep a secret from your friends? It was a little bit of a secret from my friends. Yeah. Because I, so I had a relatively good group of friends in high school, but lucky you. <laughs> no, but like I say that I say that with extraordinary hesitancy. Because I'm like, I'm like, a little jealous. Bitch. <laughs> no, I'm not. It, I say that with with the biggest grain of salt because it I I was clinging to people who I wanted to like me so badly and they truly did not turn out to be good friends. And that's okay because it was really, yeah, it was really confusing for me and for them. And, you know, I couldn't tell them why I wasn't in school. And then once I got the diagnosis, it was like, okay, this helps a little, but it's almost like a little too late. I was already that outcast. You know what I mean? So I loved them. I wanted to be their friend and I tried, you know, I, I didn't keep the secret from them for long. I tried to explain it, but it was like, you know, there's only so much I can do. And it's so, and it's so hard to even explain that to a younger teenager when you're already going through all those hormones and that change. And then on top of it, you're like, Hey, I have severe OCD. And for me, my secret in, in high school was I was severely dyslexic. Like you would call on me and I could not read a sentence. Right. Right. And that to me was so embarrassing during that time period. Right. So yeah. having that and trying to live with it, but also like fit in. Right. Absolutely. It's because it's so much of that time when you're a kid, all you want to do is fit in and be loved and accepted. And I think that it's so interesting because I think once I was able to define the secret, 
And I was, especially when I was a little older, able to speak about it better. Like Mm -hmm. it took its power away completely. It was, it was a heavier secret and more burdensome on my life when I didn't know how to explain my secret. I didn't know how to explain to them why I was out of school. Like I didn't know how to tell my peers. Why you couldn't get out of bed or why. Right. And I just didn't want to talk about it. Yeah, exactly. But I, I kept thinking like, I'm I'm just it's so fascinating you said once that once you let it go there was there was this lightness almost that yeah. comes over you but it's so interesting when you're holding it yourself and you don't know what it is then you find out what it is and you're diagnosed it's like these stages that you have to let go of it to yeah. then actually accept it and and learn the tools that's exactly what I went through you're explaining it's so funny two Absolutely. totally oh. different issues <laughs> they are the same thing because it's I always so thought funny. like yeah. something's wrong with me. I'm just a broken human being. And it's like, no, you have this, these things you do to survive in this world. Right. And they're not serving you anymore. Exactly. That's absolutely it. And yeah, again, that's why I started, you know, The Raw Contributor is because I felt like there was this thing that I started to see in everybody that everybody goes through stuff. Like everybody has things that they deal with. And so I can, in a weird way, relate to people on different things. Exactly. Like what you went through. Like my addiction or someone else's like suicide attempt. It's like we all have the same abandonment, fear, loneliness but we we put those covers on it a different way. Right, absolutely. And I think not talking about it is just gonna, you know, it it just gives it more power. That's I think like, it kills all you. It, does. I, it if, absolutely does. If it doesn't physically kill you, it, it definitely emotionally and mentally kills you. Oh yeah, and I think that's what's what was happening to me as a kid. And I mean, it started physically killing me too. Like I started, you know, I started self-harming and attempting suicide like when I was like 14 and you know, so it can even as a kid like, you know, you're right. It, it kills you. It does. Well, what happened at 14 that made you do that? Did you just like... That's a good question. It. I wish I could point to one specific event, but I think especially once I was a teenager, you know, as a really young kid, I was... I was very confused and I was very sad and I didn't know what to do. But as a teenager, mm-hmm. it started to feel like it was my fault somehow. Not by not by like my parents or anything like that. They were the most supportive people in the world, you know, but I was starting to hear voices from outside, you know, like a lot of, you know, just get over it, just get up. Why don't you just go to school? Like, it's Mm -hmm. not that hard. You're a good student. Hearing those things from like administrators, my peers, and all of those things as a teenager, so sensitive and, and felt like I had more control over my life in general, or that I was supposed to as a teenager that, um, I just felt like, I just felt like, hopeless. I felt wow. like I'm just incapable of this. Clearly there's something wrong with me, you know? Yeah. So I think, I think it was just that, that I was kind of at like a breaking point of sorts, you know? Well, I always say I had that moment where I didn't want to be on this earth anymore. Right. I didn't exactly want to kill myself. I just exactly. didn't want to feel the pain I was feeling anymore. Absolutely. That's exactly it is you just don't want to deal with it anymore. You just want to want it to go away. And then I also want to, this secret and, you know, it took you a long time, but I always like to tie these things to the seven deadly sins, not in the religious sense, but more in the character defect that we're all human and we all have some of these traits. So I'm going to name them for you and let me know if any of these ring true and why. So we got pride, greed, lust, gluttony, envy, anger, and sloth. 
I think the thing that comes the most to mind is with pride because I was so deeply ashamed, especially as like we were just talking about, especially as I got older and had no clue how to help it. And I felt like something was wrong with me that my pride, I just wanted to maintain normalcy. So when I wasn't opening up to my peers, it was because I wanted to maintain as much normalcy as I could. I wanted, and I dealt with a lot of perfectionism. I wanted to come off as, as perfect in spite Mm -hmm. of all of this. Like I wanted people to like me and my teachers to like me and everybody just in spite of this. So I think there was a lot of pride. That's so fat. I almost think sometimes and doing this podcast and so many people I'm talking to all over the world now that the main thing people suffer is this perfectionism. That character defect is so debilitating. Yeah, I completely agree. It is debilitating because you can't, nobody can be perfect. Like, it's, no, and everybody's perfect yeah. is completely different. Like your yeah. perfect is different from my perfect. So it doesn't even right. make sense if you really think about it. No, it doesn't. It's not, it's like, it's not possible. And I think that was a huge problem for me because I felt like I looked at other people as a kid and thought, oh, well, they're perfect in this way. So it is achievable for me, but I, like everybody's different. And, you know, it just, it, it, totally was a huge factor. That's interesting. You kind of see it as a pattern. (laughs) I do see it as a pattern. And I also have these moments where my other character defect with lots of people, the compare and despair gene with the perfectionism Mm. is deadly. But it hit me one day when I was talking to somebody and I thought they had the perfect life and it was all a facade. And it opened me up to be like, we are all messed up in our own ways. And it doesn't matter what the outside looks like. Exactly. That's exactly it. And it's like looking, you know, I think of myself as a teenager having body issues and, you know, I still do, but having body issues and eating issues, but like looking at other people and thinking, why are my legs not as skinny as theirs, you know, like, oh, that gap, that thigh gap. Oh my God. The thigh gap. Oh yeah. Growing up in the thigh gap times. No, that was great. Like, oh, I can't even imagine I'm much older than you. So I didn't grow up in that. I feel like it was like high school for me where that came about, but like, oh, it was just terrible. I feel like it was. Maybe I don't know. I didn't grow up in like the social media era. So I didn't have to deal with that, but I didn't either. I, well, so Facebook came about for me probably when I was in high school. Mm. So that was the extent of it. But I cannot even imagine nowadays with the what. Oh my God. I feel like that would be torture. Pure torture to be on Instagram and to be a teenager. As an adult, I can't even be on Instagram. (laughs) I know. I can't either. It's like, (laughs) oh my God. But you know, it's exactly that. Like being a kid and looking at other people and comparing yourself exactly like the compare and despair, you know, it was just, it was just devastating. And and it took some time to learn, okay, other people's bodies are shaped like mine or other people are different learners than I am, or this is the way that I do better in school, or these are the subjects I do better, you know, all of that stuff. So my next question for you is, With this secret of the OCD and all the turmoil in your teenage years, who do you think keeping that secret from harmed and who did it benefit? It, I would say it absolutely harmed myself and Mm -hmm. it harmed my family. Absolutely. Because, you know, my mom and I were kind of like partners in crime in this. She was the only person I had to lean on. She was the person defending me to all of the doctors, to the schools. Like she and I went through this 
together. And even though, you know, there's only so much more I could have done to not keep it a secret. Like I do think it was having to do with, you know, doctors asking the right questions and that kind of thing. Um, I think not being open about it as much as I could have and, you know, not expressing my fear enough, absolutely destroyed like my family. My, My whole family came, you know, came to be wrapped around this, which is just so not fair. And it, it destroyed my childhood in a lot of ways. But mm. And keeping it helped me to just, I don't know, just feel normal. I just, like, I just wanted to feel normal. So it, it allowed me to feel normal sometimes to doctors and to my peers. And when I was in school to just pretend like everything was fine because I just wanted that I, as any kid does. I just wanted to be normal. Wow. I mean, my, I have a couple more questions because this is, I just, first I want to know how you moved forward in the future. I know you talked about your podcast and the things you're doing to get the word out. How else are you taking care of yourself now? Well, it took, the biggest thing was getting the right therapy. And that ended up being, um, I got treated at the University of Pennsylvania with the director of the OCD group. It was like the hardest, but best experience of my life. And it's really, that is really what was the turning point for me. I think that was when I was like 19 and, or I guess 18, 19. And and we'll um, put those links in the, if anybody needs to look it up right. in suffering, I'm going to put those links down so you can find Absolutely. Them. I can give you resources. I think, honestly, I think the group might be closing down, but they've dispersed to right nearby. So I will give you a similar source. Yeah. So getting that treatment and getting on the right medication and everything like that, 1000% helped me to move forward. But in a lot of ways in the past, you know, six years or so, or seven years, I've been rebuilding my life. Like I'm learning how to function as a normal human. And I am definitely much more functional than I was, but there are still times when I like have to force myself to just freaking brush my teeth in the morning. It feels Mm. like a, a mountain to climb over. And I think in moving forward, it's just understanding that, okay, I have come so far and cutting myself some slack. Like some days, like I'm not as productive as I want to be. I'm not the kind of functional human that I want to be. I still have like a good cry over that every so often. But it's just, I think, giving myself a break and understanding that I have done a lot of work and recognizing that. And I think I think that's the most important thing that moved me forward was doing that work. Because even after doing the work, when it was hard, I can still say, I can still take a deep breath and say, okay, I'm not that person anymore. I have the tools to move forward, you know? It is just so crazy to listen to you. We have such different, I have this addiction, you have this OCD. It sounds the exact same. Everything (laughs) you're saying is hitting me at such a deep level because is it when you said it's the hardest thing you've ever done, you know, my Mm. first year of sobriety was the hardest thing I've ever done, Right. but it was worth it. It opened me up. It gave me the tools, but some days I just, you know, I get stuck in that addict mindset. And it seems like it's such a similar disease in a way. Like it's like, but it's so fat. And the last thing I do want to ask you, and I think this is important. Anybody that's listening that suffers from OCD or doesn't want to get out of bed, what would be the advice you would give them? I think my advice would be, and you know what, I would even go so far as to say anybody who's struggling with anything that's persistent, whether it's grief, whether it's addiction, Mm -hmm whether, you know, whatever it is, I think sometimes it's hard, number one, to get the right diagnoses, um, number two, to get the right help. But I would say 
get whatever help is appropriate. Tell somebody, try different things because I can tell you, I went through so many doctors, so many therapists, so many different medications. I cannot even tell you. <laughs> like, <laughs> like there is help for you, whatever it is. It sometimes is just about trying long enough to find the right thing and the right person who says, wait, back up a minute. What did you just say? I think that's the best we can do is because there are professionals out there and just like cut yourself some slack. I mean, it's hard being a human. It's hard dealing with grief. It's hard dealing with addiction and mental illness. It's hard not getting out of bed, but like you're human and you know, it doesn't have to be like this forever. It doesn't just hold on a little. Yeah. And I also, I just, something popped in my head when you were, you said that, that our brain is not capable of getting us out of it. Yes. And that's okay. Like I had to be okay that I could not fix myself. Right. And you know what? That is, that is exactly it because there, for all of these things, you know, even for sectors of OCD, like there are people who specialize in the medication for it, in the treatment for it. So all of these things take years and years of training. I think, I think some people are definitely under the misconception that you can get over it, that you can just heal yourself. But, and you know, maybe that's sometimes is true, but there are people who are trained in this, like you would not believe. And sometimes it has to do with a chemical imbalance. Like, I personally, I, you know, it's not true for everyone, but I personally need to be on medication to be a functional human. There's just yeah. something funky in my brain. And, <laughs> and, and sometimes like, I love true. that. There's just something <laughs> funky in my brain. There is. It's just like, it's doing its own thing. And I'm like, no, 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 you need medication. <laughs> but it's just, you know, there are so many things and you might not need medication. That's entirely true for many people, but going to other people who have more knowledge than you, I think lifts you up. It gives you power. Like that's the best thing you can do is take your power back as much as you can. Cause these are things that are parts of you. They're not you. They're things that, you know, come with the life experience of being a human, but you know, just like you are not addiction, but addiction is a part of you. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? It's just something you deal with. So it's kind of like that, you know, either you just, you don't have all the control. Well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your secret with us. I oh, truly appreciate it. Absolutely. And I, I definitely want to say that if anybody has any questions or they're like, they're struggling and don't know what the hell to do, even whether it has to do with mental illness or not, I really believe that these like these principles apply to so many things. Like feel, feel free to reach out. You know, you can link my contact info and everything. Well, thank you. And if you want to be on the show, please email me at secretlivepodcast at iCloud.com. Until next time. Thanks again for listening to the show. Please subscribe, rate, share, or send me a note at secretlifepodcast.com. And if you'd like to check out my book, head over to secretlifenovel.com or Amazon to pick up a copy for yourself or someone you love. Thanks again. See you soon.